All right. All right. Thank y'all. When uh, when Dennis Okoth returned to his home village in Kenya, he remembers that he was met with gasps, whispers of disbelief, looks of horror and fright on people's faces. Well, there's a backstory to this. Why? Um, because of his faith in Christ, Dennis's own father had hired six men to bind him with chains and have a witch doctor kill him with poison. The witch doctor used some sort of white poison and injected him with a large needle, the type that a veterinarian might use for vaccinating cattle. Well, Dennis went unconscious. Perhaps he was comatose. His body went into convulsions. And because of these convulsions, his captors uh, refused to bury him, but they left him for dead. Dennis says this, through, through the night, my body kept twitching. My tongue was swollen full to the palate. After three or four days, I regained consciousness. The first thing that came out of my mouth was, Jesus saves. Dennis's father was a clan leader who presided over rituals that were supposed to soothe the ancestral spirits. And so Dennis was a daily threat to his father's authority and prestige. So his father, his own father, hired men to kill him. After escaping the village with his life, when uh, Dennis eventually returned, the people thought they were seeing a dead man walking around. And in a sense, they were. I think that will become clear a bit later on. But though they were frightened of him, they also could not stop listening to his testimony about the saving power of Jesus Christ. Many people in the village became Christians, but not his father. Dennis Okoth and his fellow believers were persistent, however, and after eight years, his father, his mother, several family members trusted Christ and were united with him in baptism. Amen. Eventually, Dennis's father would ask forgiveness for what he did to his son, but Dennis told him, I already forgave you on that day, speaking about the day that he was poisoned and almost killed. Richard O'Koth said this about his brother Dennis, your life has given us the strong will to persist in this walk of faith. Indeed, if you never stood your ground, probably we wouldn't be seeing the light we enjoy in our family today. I have a model in you who has taken a stand to rescue a community sinking in sin. Isn't that powerful? Almost 40 years later, Dennis is still serving the Lord with all his heart. He moved to Uganda where he uh, made almost daily treks to rural churches, studying the Bible with people, equipping Christians and churches to serve. He's even been involved in a microloan program to help women in the villages, some of whom suffer from HIV. Dennis declares, even if they die, we want them to die under grace, knowing that God loves them. And now he trains people who are planting new churches. Isn't God amazing? I think most of us find it encouraging and challenging to learn of Christians like Dennis O'Koth, Christians who are committed to Jesus even to the point of dying for him. I want to be that type of man and have that type of faith. But for most of us, coming to Christ doesn't involve risking our lives, does it? Serving Christ doesn't involve risking our lives. It doesn't have to, uh, at least now. We can still be completely devoted followers of Jesus Christ, even if we're never called to physically die for him. That day may never come for most of us, although it certainly could. 
We may not have to die for him, but we are all called, each and every one, to live for him. The great, Christi- the great uh, preacher Fred Craddock suggested that in giving our lives for Christ, we think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's, here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there, listening to the neighbor kid's troubles instead of saying, get lost. Going to a committee meeting, giving a cup of cold water to the shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. There's a lot of truth to that. I want us to think about Christian discipleship today, what it means to be devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ truly dedicated disciples. And there's a pivotal verse that I want to consider in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9 and verse 51. Luke 9, 51, I want us to consider today. New Testament scholars suggest that this verse is sort of a hinge in the Gospel of Luke, the movement of the action changes, and I'll explain a bit about that in just a moment. Luke 9.51. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In the second half of that verse I highlight, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. It sounds a bit like a throwaway line at first glance, travel log. It speaks of geography, a travel destination. But it's really much more than a geographical reference, much, much more. Let let, let me explain. Jesus had been ministering in and around Galilee. From this point forward, all the action in Luke's gospel takes place on the way to Jerusalem. Think about what awaited Jesus in Jerusalem. You know what awaited him, right? Rejection, arrest, a terrible farce of a trial, false accusations, lying witnesses, horrible beating, cruel mockery, scorn, derision, crucifixion, an excruciating death, the price that needed to be paid for our salvation, the purchase of our pardon. That's what Jerusalem would mean for Jesus, a horrible cross. That's what awaited our Savior in Jerusalem. When the gospel says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, it's a statement that is absolutely pregnant with meaning. Other translations render this, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. The Amplified Bible renders this, he was determined to go to Jerusalem to fulfill his purpose. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Do you sense Jesus' fierce commitment as he turns his face toward the holy city? Can you see the rugged determination that's written all over his face? 
Do you hear the steadfast resolve in his voice as he tells his disciples what will be awaiting him in Jerusalem? You know, earlier Steve was talking about things that are glorious, clouds and sky and water and eagles. One of the most glorious things that you can ever see in the world is God in the flesh in this world moving toward his fate in Jerusalem as he has us on his heart and mind. Jesus was absolutely fixed on obeying his Father's will and accomplishing our salvation, and he was not going to allow anything to stop him. He was steadfast. He was resolute. He was determined. I think about Jesus' determination, and I try to find some modern-day comparisons. It's challenging. But there's a mother who is so determined to provide for her children. She'll work three jobs and sleep only four hours a night. She won't, anything, she won't let anything stop her from taking care of her children that she loves so much. I think of the athlete who is absolutely resolved to win a championship. He'll work out 365 days a year. He'll practice relentlessly. He'll do anything and everything humanly possible to achieve his goal of winning a championship. I think of the soldier whose commitment to cause and country motivates him or her to risk their life time and time again. And as powerful as all these examples are, they all fall short, don't they? Jesus had an unparalleled determination to head toward Jerusalem and secure our pardon. Every moment of every day of his life, Jesus lived sinlessly in obedience to his Father so that he could secure our salvation. So that he could pave the way to heaven for us. His commitment, his dedication were unparalleled. So there's a point of personal obligation for us here. Jesus insists that since he is walking the path that leads to the cross, the same must be true for us. A devoted Messiah calls for devoted disciples. A committed Savior calls for committed followers. Isn't that true? Look at verse 22 in the same chapter, Luke chapter 9. Jesus, the, the gospel talks about Jesus' dedication uh, to his track toward Jerusalem and what that would mean. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And why do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself lost, destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and his holy angels." Jesus makes it very clear. He tells his disciples first very clearly what awaits him. He is moving toward rejection, suffering, and a horrible death. And then he tells his followers, you must have the same commitment. 
A crucified Messiah calls for crucified disciples. If you try to hang on to your life, you lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If, if any of you wants to be my follower, Jesus says, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. We all are called by Jesus to die to self in the selfish way of life and to live for him. That's what it means to be a disciple. If we're going to be a followers of Jesus, that means we actually need to follow Jesus. Isn't the math crystal clear on that? And his feet were pointed toward Jerusalem where a Roman cross awaited him. When Jesus calls a person, he bids them come and die. The path of following Jesus is a, is a path with a cross at the end of it. And he says, if you want to be my follower, turn away from a life devoted to self and your own desires. Take up your cross and follow me. That's a thing that's very easy to say, but that is a very challenging thing to do. Practically speaking, it amounts to this. He died for me. I'll live for him. He died for me. I'll live for him. If you believe that, would you say it with me? He died for me. I'll live for him. It's a radical thing that Jesus says, a radical commitment that he calls us to. People like Dennis O'Koth understand that. When Dennis knew people who, that people who wielded power and influence would not like him talking about Jesus, he wouldn't be silenced. He talked about Jesus anyway. He had already died when he made the decision to be a Christ follower. He had already died to himself. He had made the decision that his life belonged to the Lord. And isn't that right? Isn't that what happens when we become a Christ follower? We made the decision that our, my life doesn't belong to me anymore. So when he awoke from his unconscious state after having been poisoned, first words out of his mouth, Jesus saves. Dennis O'Koth gets it. But it's not just potential martyrs in foreign lands who are called to follow Jesus. We're all called to radical discipleship, real surrender, full commitment. Before I met Glenna, she was a part of a Bible class for single adults in the church where we would eventually meet in Nashville. One day, one of the, the guys in the class was at the, at the board up front trying to write the word commitment. He was having trouble spelling it, and so Glenna said out loud for all the class to hear, yeah, that's right, girls, yet another man who can't even spell commitment. And I, I think everyone laughed on that day, too. As Christians, we're supposed to know how to spell the word commitment. We're supposed to know what true devotion means. But what's that supposed to look like for us? In a, in a land of plenty, uh, a place where persecution means snickers and jokes uh, told about us instead of a needle wielded by a witch doctor, what does it mean for us in 2021 in the United States to be devoted disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? I think that's the operative question for us. What does discipleship look like in the 21st century right here, right now? Not everybody's called to overseas missions and potential martyrdom. So what does it look like for us to follow in Jesus' footsteps? A Christian decides that her devotional life is not what it should be, and she begins a program of reading through the Bible. So she sets her alarm 20 minutes earlier every day, 
to get up and study and pray and spend time with the Lord. That's a piece of what real discipleship looks like. I think of my mother who was devoted to taking care of my dad basically 24-7 as a part of her Christian commitment. Isn't how we treat our family part of our Christian commitment? She made a commitment before God to my dad, and she was determined to keep it. So every day for 11 years, she took care of a man who had Alzheimer's 24-7, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. The Christian who gives generously and sacrificially to the church and to other good works instead of spending the money selfishly. A young person trusts Jesus and is baptized and determines as a part of his or her Christian commitment to remain sexually pure in a world that is anything but. A Christian who has the most, who has the worst, most obnoxious neighbors ever tries to return good for evil manages to practice kindness in Jesus' name and to his glory. That's Christian commitment. A disciple of Jesus who works in a wicked and corrupt workplace, but every day lives a life of integrity and Christian kindness and sets an example for the people in his or her life. Christian woman whose spouse is not exactly Mr. Wonderful, but because she loves Jesus, every day she strives to be a good wife and a good mother anyway. I've seen so many people in the church work tirelessly for the cause of Christ, dedicated to the kingdom, and that dedication is reflected in how uh, they use their time and spend their energy. Commitment. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And he's calling us to commitment in a generation that doesn't understand much about commitment. Um, these things make me smile. The following are reportedly actual responses from comment cards given to staff members at Bridger Wilderness Area in Wyoming. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Huh? Too many bugs and leeches and spiders and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Please pave the trails. Chairlifts need to be in some places so that we can get to the wonderful views without having to hike to them. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. <laughs> a small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? Please call. Escalators would help on steep uphill sections. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. Too many rocks in the mountains. These comments and complaints indicate that the people who made them don't really understand what it means to stay in a wilderness area. They were looking for something instead, something convenient and comfortable, not truly a wilderness experience. In a similar way, Many people don't understand what it means to be a committed Christian. There are multitudes, Jesus talked about them, there are multitudes that often view themselves as followers of Christ, but they do so on their terms and not his. They don't truly comprehend the biblical de definition of discipleship. I'm closing. Martin Luther was surely right when he said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. 
Jesus calls us to live lives of commitment and sacrifice, relentless love, holy devotion, lives exemplified by mercy, justice, righteousness, generosity, and purity. Jesus said, And if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you that Jesus was willing to walk the way of the cross. We thank you for his steadfastness on his way to Jerusalem and what he was willing to do to serve you and save us. Lord, help us to follow in his footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen. So maybe you are at a place in your life where you're ready to surrender control of your life to Jesus. Put your trust in him, trust him for your salvation, trust him with your life. Become a Christ follower, repent of your sins. Maybe you're at a place where you're ready to, to put on Christ in baptism, to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. Or maybe you're at a, a place in your life where you realize you wanna renew your commitment to that, that you made that commitment once and you want to return to it. Whatever need you have on your heart today, uh, you can let us know. Come to the front. Let's stand up. Let's encourage each other as we sing.